Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Tim. Embassy City family, I am so excited that you decided to worship with us today. And whether you are here or there, whether you are in the building or a part of our Vitamin E family, thank you for spending your time in worship and the word with us today. I'm so excited that Katie Kazadi is back to bring us another word. I know she was just here two weeks ago and it was so good we had to bring her back again. So I need everyone to stand to your feet, even if you're at home, get up. Get up out of bed, you need to get out of bed anyway. Whatever you're doing right now, stand to your feet. Our very own Katie Kazadi is about to bring the word. Let's give it up for her right now. family how are you you good everybody can hear me well I can hear you and that's what I, that's how I like to start well I'm so thankful um, to be here with my beautiful family on the first row like we are every week I'm gonna try um, to not be funny uh, today because my five-year-old informed me that I should not joke about the Word of God so I have my very own Pharisee at home uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's you. It's okay. She, she, uh, we explained to her that it's okay to joke while you're preaching the word. Um, but I'm glad she's listening. So this morning, I want to preach to you. Ooh, I'm excited. Are you ready? Yes. This is like the barbecue warm-up, okay? Right. Tomorrow's the barbecue. Today's the appetizer. You came to get that word before you get those uh, ribs and whatever else you're going to eat. Tomorrow, um, today, we're going to get the word and we're going to leave here differently. I'm gonna pray in just a moment and then read scripture. Let me just give you the title. You know where I'm going right now. The title of my message, the assignment from God is to preach from the topic, you gotta go. You've gotta go, so stay. Father, we thank you for your word today. Your people did not make time to come all the way to church today because they had nothing else to do. We're here for one reason, Jesus, and that is because you deserve this first part of our week and because we desperately need to hear from you. And we have an expectation from your word today because you said that your word would bring healing and it would bring life. And so we open up our hearts and we open up our lives to receive your word and we lean in and we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Please bless your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. So today, we're going to go to the book of John. John is not my favorite gospel because um, John is a little bit like all over the place. He, his timeline, he doesn't write things chronologically, but um, he does. What I love about John is he lets us in on a few things that we would have missed. He, he gives us a lot more in, in Jesus' final moments or day of the conversations that Jesus had right before he left us. Um, The words we're going to read today, every single one of them, if you are old school and you have a Bible made of paper, um, every single word in the text that we're going to come from today is written in red. And that means every word without exception came from the mouth of Jesus. Are there any Jesus followers in this place? All right, so this ain't Paul, Peter, Mary, or nobody else, Peter, Paul, and Mary. This is Jesus talking today. So we need to first know who's talking to us before we read it. We also want to know a little bit more, not just who it is. We want to kind of know what's happening. Okay, what is the context? We don't want to just 
barge our way into a room in the middle of a conversation and assume we know what's happening, right? So I'm going to give you a little context first so we know not just that it's Jesus talking, but who he's talking to and what's happening around him. And this is what it is. Um, This is Jesus' final day before he's crucified. Now, Jesus is not surprised by his crucifixion, so he knows that his time is coming and this is the very end. He has walked with these men the 12 disciples, for years. He has poured everything into them, knowing this, that when I leave this earth, the only way that what I did will last and do what I meant it to do is if I put in these boys everything that I need to before I leave. I can't plant the church of my dreams. I have to plant the seed of that church inside of them and then leave, and then they will plant the church of Acts. So Jesus is with his disciples, and this is his last day on earth before he is taken and then crucified. So they're at dinner, the Last Supper, while Jesus is giving them some of his last words, and time is growing close to his end, and he's at the Last Supper, and now all of a sudden he looks over at Judas, and he was like, um, you got to go. And nobody else knows what's happening, they think, because he handles the money, he's like going to pay a bill or feed the poor or something. They're completely clueless. Um, But Jesus knows, I know you're going to betray me, and it's time now. you got to go. So he literally dismisses Judas from the table. So no one else knows this of his disciples, but Jesus knows that right now, Judas is somewhere between this upper room and the men who are going to torture, kill me, and rip my body apart. And he is somewhere between me and them about to lead them to me. So now my time is officially on the clock. As soon as he dismissed Judas from the table, he knew that time was counting down. And at this moment, from this moment on, every word he says, he's trying to cram as much meaning into as, do as much with as little as possible because time is ticking. What are the things that I have not quite yet said to them? What, is, what, what, what do I need to say? What is there anything left unsaid? And so right before the passage we're going to read in John 15, we check out the last couple verses of chapter 14 to know exactly what's happening. It says this, he says to the disciples, the 11, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now. And let us leave. Now, if you read some of these other uh, Gospels, you'll know that the Bible says that Satan entered Judas. You ever wondering how could he walk so close to Jesus and betray him? It is because Satan, not a demon, Satan himself entered Judas, right? Now, remember, Jesus has just dismissed Judas to go betray him. And then he tells his disciples, the prince of this world is coming. And what is he identifying? Is that, yes, I'm offended because he's and hurt because I'm hurt because he's going to betray me. But I also recognize that it's not really Judas coming. It's the prince of the world. And so he actually shows us in this moment also how to deal with a Judas. And that is by recognizing that I don't have to even say your name or anything about you. It is not really you. It is a spirit behind the Judas. So he says, the prince of this world is coming and Judas is coming for him and he's leading the people to them and he says, yes, Satan's coming for me and I want you to know this, he don't have no power over me. If I say so, they all just drop dead. So when you see 
and you remember I told you he's coming, and he comes, and you're surprised, I want you to remember I'm letting this happen. I'm making a decision to meet up with the prince of this world, and he's going to take me because I need the world to know that I love the Father. I need the world to know with the very last things I do here is that I love my daddy and I do whatever he says to do and he planted me in the soil of this earth and he planted me for a purpose and this is why I came. I know where I came from. I know where I am going is what he says in another chapter. And so Jesus is saying, he ain't got no hold on me, but he's coming. So I got to go. We got to go. Where do we have to go? Run away from him? No, we need to go meet him. We need to go and find the place where Judas is going to meet us. So he goes, come, let's leave, which implies to us that this conversation we're going to read in in, uh, John 15 happens either on the walk from the Last Supper to the garden or actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they leave the Last Supper. They're all full of emotion. The Bible says how much they... They cried and were overwhelmed when he's trying to tell them at this last supper, which they had no idea what kind of dinner they were walking into. You ever have that kind of dinner? You think you're going to dinner and you got broke up with? And you're like, what? Just, I just didn't even get my steak. What? They go to this dinner, have no idea, and then Jesus starts to unfold the plan, and they are overcome with emotion. What do you mean you're leaving? What do you mean you're going to die? The, the blood and the wine. And what, is, what is all this? So they're already overwhelmed with emotion. Jesus is full of emotion. He is fully God, but he is fully man, a man who can feel hungry. He can also feel scared, and he can feel a little bit sad that he's going to be leaving. And I want you to understand that Jesus is so um, in touch with his emotions and feels so much like a real man that shortly after this, he will pray so hard and talk to his daddy and ask him, is there any other way? And he'll be so overcome that his body will cry blood. He will feel the weight of this decision to go to the cross so deeply that he will wish and plead, if there is another way, let it happen. Can there be another way? 33 years later, I've always known this was the way, but now that I'm here, is there another way? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the Jesus who's about to speak. The disciples he's about to speak to, the 11, are the same ones that in a few moments will fall asleep from grief and not be able to stay awake when Jesus keeps asking them to pray. So you're talking to 11 men who are hanging on every word because it's starting to set set in that that Jesus isn't going to establish a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual one and he's leaving and he's going to die and everything is about to get different. So they are hanging on every single word. As I read through John chapter 15, I am going to read it out of order on purpose because it's a familiar passage of scripture and I want to disorient you from the text so that you don't walk into it thinking that you already know what it's going to say. As if the book, the Bible, the word of God that still breathes doesn't have anything new to say to you. And I want us to sort of walk away and detach yourself and and we're going to look at it piece by piece but not in order. And then when it's all done, we'll look at it all together in its body. But I want us to start in John 15 verse 16. Towards the end of this last one of his final conversations, he says this to him. It sounds familiar if you were here a couple weeks ago. 
I preached on Jeremiah, and he says something similar. He says to the disciples, as some of his closing words, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So toward the close of this conversation, he, he, he wants to make sure they understand something. Yes, you're my disciples, and I said, come follow me, but I want you to know this. Um, you didn't follow me first because goodness and mercy have been following you all the days of your life. I have been following you, and what happened is when I found you on that seashore, I tagged you and said, you're it, and you will spend the rest of your life chasing me, and you will never, ever quite catch up to me, but you will spend your whole life chasing after Jesus, and can I just take one moment to thank God for the fact that he is faster than me because that means even though I spend my whole life chasing him he gets places I can't get before I get there he takes care of things I can't even see because goodness and mercy were following me he tagged me and I will spend the rest of my life chasing him he says I picked you and I didn't just pick you he's reminding them even though I'm in flesh don't forget I'm God I didn't just pick you but I appointed you to bear what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I didn't save you and choose you for you just to escape hell and to live a cute little better lifestyle. Or I didn't just pick you for anything. I want you to know that I picked you and I planted you with an expectation that you would give me back some fruit. He says fruit. Think about gardening and a gardener. I know nothing about it. I'm no expert. I killed an aloe vera plant. <laughs> but here's what I do know about gardening is that anybody who plants, always plants with an expectation. You don't ever just go, you know what I think I'm gonna do today? I'm just gonna throw some seeds in the ground. I'm gonna, gardening is hard work, and Jesus is using an analogy. He says, I have appointed you to bear fruit. It would be senseless to garden without an expectation. So Jesus is reminding him that if you are planted in Christ, he has planted you, the gardener has planted you with an expectation and he stands over the soil of your life expecting to see something out of you. And this is what he says, here's what I've appointed you to do, two things. Number one, to go. I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. But the first part he just says is go. I have appointed you to go. It reminds me of when he says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. I didn't just save you disciples so that you could have three years with me. I, I saved you and I chose you and I've appointed you because I've got to go. And when I go, you've got to go. You have to go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. He's telling them right now, huddle up guys, because it's almost that time. It's almost time for you to check into the game. And I want you to know you've got to go. And I know Peter, you're going to deny me and you're going to feel like you shouldn't be able to follow me. But I already know, I prayed for you. You got to go and he's telling all of them it's going to be dangerous but you got to go and it's going to be lonely sometimes but you've got to go I've appointed you to go I am God standing in your face go go into all the world and sometimes the world will hate you but you've got to go and sometimes it'll cost you everything but you got to go You've got to go, and when it's uncertain, you've got to go, and when you feel unworthy, you've got to go, and when you feel unqualified, you've got to go. You've got to go because I planted you with an expectation, and I want to tell you this. I don't think he's just talking to them. 
I think Jesus is talking to every single person who would ever call themselves a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. I did not prepare a message today so you could go home with your scorecards and depend and, and decide if I was like a six or an eight today and how I line up to anybody else. I came here because this is an embassy. And if you come to this church, you can't stay in this church. You've got to come and then you've got to go. The mandate on your life is the same thing that Jesus says to his disciples, and that is this. I'm a dead man walking. I don't have time to waste words. So let me just sum it up in one word. You've got to go. And I don't know, church, if you've noticed it, but the hour right now that we are facing is urgent. The time is drawing near. Everything you're seeing in scriptures is fulfilled. So I came today by the Spirit of God to shake some people up and tell you, you've got to go. This week, 19 kids went to school, and then they went to heaven. And there's no political statement to be made. But as the church of Jesus Christ, the one thing that ought to do to us is remind us these kids went to church, went to school and then went to heaven because that's how close heaven is. And that's how close hell is. And eternity is a breath away. And you do not know which breath away. Jesus knew that any moment my time is up. And with my last breath, I want you to know that you've got to go. You are therefore Christ's ambassadors as if though God was making his appeal through you and he does not tell them where to go he says what go bear fruit that lasts sometimes we focus so much on the where that we just sit and do nothing because we're afraid of doing the wrong thing and I want to tell you today that where is not as important as what he tells them go bear fruit that will last. Now let me tell you about fruit. Fruit's not supposed to last. When's the last time you bought an apple? Went to your fruit basket nine months later and said, where is that apple that I bought nine months ago? Jesus is saying something significant here when he says fruit that lasts because naturally fruit doesn't last. So he's talking about something spiritual. He's saying I'm, I'm calling you and appointing you to go do things that will last. Can I just lovingly tell you that many of you are spending your whole life chasing after things that don't last. And if you pulled out your calendar right now and you did a checklist of, of everything that I'm doing, and I'm not talking about quitting your job and making your kids have no food and run around with no diapers. I'm saying if you look at all the excess, in your life, and you are really honest, how many of the things that you are doing last? Scrolling doesn't last. Shopping doesn't last. How many of the things that you're doing is lasting? And I want to tell you this, you're throwing your life and, into, and your energy into things that don't last. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're trying to build your own empire and you cannot build God's kingdom and your own empire at the same time because a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. And if you're a disciple, you have been called to build the kingdom of God. You've got to go. Go into the salon. <laughs> go into the stores. Go onto the streets when those people are cutting you off. 
Go everywhere you go and be the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world. But I'm sorry to tell you this. Jesus is not here right now. He is at the right hand of the Father. And that's why he said, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hid. He's telling them to go and do things that last. And beautifully weaved into the middle of this conversation is something that at first glance just kind of seems out of place. In verse 13 to 15, he says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he looks in the eyes and he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So, the verses we read first, he's, he's, calling, he's pulling the God card, like, I, I picked you, I chose you, I, I appointed you. But now he's coming to them, and he's saying, look, greater love has no man than this. And he says this, look, I've told you everything while I was here. Everything the Father told me, I have shared everything with you because that's what friends do, and friends don't have secrets. I have been a friend to you. And what I'm saying right now about laying down your life, it doesn't make sense today, but tomorrow... When you all forsake me and I still strip down and take heaven's beating for you, you will remember this moment and you will look and you will say, oh my God. And I want you to remember, yes, I was God, but I was also your friend. I'm not just God, I'm your friend and I've got to go and you've got to go. But if we're going to go, We've got to stay friends. Our friendship isn't based on my physical appearance or my audible voice. It is something deeper. And I want to teach you how to stay friends because we've got to go. So we've got to stay. And then in verse 1 through 10, we're about to read in a moment. He starts to tell them a story. An analogy paints a picture about a vine and some branches and then when he's done with 1 to 10, in verse 11, he answers the unspoken question, which is, why are you talking to us about a vine and branches? And he says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. So what he's saying is when you piece this all together, what we're about to read, somehow when you piece this whole analogy together, at the end of it, is joy. So as we read it, I want you to just to kind of hold the word joy in your heart and, and, and see where do we find joy in these verses. Verse 1 to 10, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. 
Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I don't know if you notice he said the word remain so many times I ran out of fingers. Remain, it is the Greek word, meno, and it literally just means to stay. There's no special thing coming. It just means to stay, to remain, to abide. So Jesus is saying to them, he's like, okay, I don't know exactly when Judas is coming. How can I best get all the words in my heart that I'm trying to say? What, what picture could I paint to engrave this on their minds and their hearts? What? And he goes, okay, here's what I'll do. Let me paint a picture. I am the vine. Now, vines are very significant to the disciples. They're Hebrew boys. So they've historically been brought up with scriptures talking about Israel being the vine and on the door of their temples are a picture of vines. So Jesus wants to clear this up and make it very clear. He goes, no, no, I am the vine. In this analogy, I am the vine. And he says, my father is the gardener. So they're like, okay, I'm picturing this. I see a, I see a, vi a vine. And the gardener, you're the vine, Jesus, the father is the gardener, okay. And then eventually, a few verses later, he inserts them into the story and says, you are the branches. The branches are you. And if you remain in me, like a branch remains in the vine, then, um, then you'll bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, if you remain in me, and I remain in you, you'll bear fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing if you don't stay. So here's what I want to know. Where do we find joy in this? Let me tell you where I find joy in this, first of all. First place I find joy in this is when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. When you first hear that word, if you don't know it's Jesus saying, saying that, it just sounds like a narcissist. And you're like, I don't, what, who, who, what are you saying? That's what a narcissist would say. But can I tell you that that's why uh, we are so bothered by narcissists? Because God is a narcissist. God is the narcissist in, this, in the sense that God is, he thinks the world revolves around him. And so when someone else has narcissistic behavior, it really bothers us because that behavior belongs to God. Nobody else should be looking at me and telling me that apart from them, I can't do nothing. No, no, only God can say that. So God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if someone else said that to me, I wish somebody would tell me I could not do anything apart from them. But when Jesus says, apart from you, you can do nothing. Oh my goodness, I find so much joy in that because you know what? You mean to tell me all the striving that I've been doing, all the things that I have been doing to try to be fruitful and none of it actually will work. That means that all I have to do is just abide in you, is just to stay in you and this takes away the pressure to perform and to be better and, and why can't I just get more love, joy, peace, patience and I pray for patience and I just come out and yell at my kids and I don't know if that was happening and all the pressure to grow this fruit, it takes the pressure off. You cannot bear fruit on your own but what you can do is just to remain, to remain connected, remain one with me, stay friends with me, so intimately connected that if you were to break off from me, that we would not be even in the same room, right? We are one. You have to stay one with me. It means the pressure to perform is taken away, but it also means the pressure to, to compare myself is taken away. If he's the vine and we're branches, 
then you are in season and I see all your beautiful oranges coming and I'm looking at my branch like, why is my branch bare? I don't have to compare myself to you because he, he, he is like a tree planted by the rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in its season. And that means I don't have to compare myself to you because if you have beautiful fruit, that's your fruit and it's just your season. But if I am in Christ, I don't have any pressure to create fruit, to be anything else, to do anything else. My only job, I have one job and that's to say, let a branch, let a branch try to get more busy or get more followers. Let a branch try to make a plan and then see what happens. She says, no, all you are is just a branch. And that means one job you have is just to stay in me and I find so much joy in that all I have to do is, is stay so one with him that I can feel the burden of the Lord and, and I can feel the heart of God beating within me so one with him that I could ask anything in his name and he would do it because I'd never ask anything in his name that wasn't already in his heart to do because his heart is in my heart and we are one that brings me so much joy do you know to be honest with you I had to experience that this week. The, in, the first, in the days leading up to preparing this message, I found myself so stuck. And I'm looking at this chapter in the Bible and just, I got nothing. I don't feel a burden for it. I don't have a message and I'm just stuck and I'm looking and I'm like, God, why aren't you telling me what to say to these people? I didn't ask to preach. So, so it's your job. Why don't I got nothing? And God says, did you read it? And I started to read it and I was like, all my efforts and I can't write sermons. I can't produce things. All I can do is just remain. And so I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I put away my Bible and I went put away my notes. And I spent a late night just laying on my face before God and not going to the scriptures as a means to an end, but going into the presence of God just to have a moment with my friend. If I have no message, I just need this. I need to be one with you, Lord. I need to be one with your heart. And God's talked to me all night. And he didn't say anything to me about you. He said everything he needed to say about me. And then I woke up the next morning and I opened the Bible again. And I read it this time with tears because I didn't have a message, but I felt the burden of the Lord again because I had done the very thing Jesus is telling us not to do. And that is I was trying to do something apart from him. And apart from him, I can do nothing. I find so much joy in that. But you know what I do not find joy? Pruning. That part, I'm like... Can we just cross that part out? I don't find joy in pruning. You know what pruning is? Pruning of a vine. Pruning is when you cleanse and you cut and you trim away at a branch on a vine, especially for the purpose of encouraging growth. Pruning is supposed to happen for a vine consistently throughout the year. And then in the winter is a very intense pruning and the timing of it matters. And you don't just trim the branch. You cut away like the excess leaves because they look like they ain't bothering nobody. But what they're doing is they are just blocking the sun and they're creating um, something, a distraction, something that's interfering with you and the sun. And so, and so they're cut away. And the theory of pruning is this, and that is that injury produces increase. That injury produces increase. And when Jesus tells them, if you have fruit, the Father will come and he will prune you for more fruit. He is urgently telling them with some of his last words, look, if you are in me, there will be times when God comes and he begins cutting away. 
And you will be so confused because you're like, wait, I'm not that branch over there that has no fruit. I have fruit. And you'll be like, why is this happening? What's wrong with me that I'm being cutting being cut away and there's nothing wrong with some of this stuff but they are just these leaves that are maybe standing between you and the sun God is saying look Jesus is telling him look there's going to be times in your life when you stand and you watch things that have been attached to you for so long fall completely out of your reach and it will feel like you're losing a part of yourself there was nothing wrong with that relationship but God cut it away there was nothing wrong with that dream, but you cut it away. There was nothing wrong with that job, but you cut it away. There was nothing wrong with that money, but you cut it away. There was nothing wrong with that season, but you cut it away. And Jesus is saying, look, there will be times when the pain of being severed when you are pruned will cause your fight or flight mentality to kick in and your instinct will tell you to run from the pain, to run from the cutting because you will do anything you can to get away from the sharpness of those shears but he's saying but there is a mandate on your life I have an expectation for fruit you don't have permission to run you need to remain and when you're tempted to chase after the feeling of insecurity chase after that thing that felt like it was part of you chase after that stability and that comfort you will disconnect yourself from the vine because what you chase after is what you worship and so when I prune you, I will show you the idols that you did not know you even had. And in all of that, it will be my love and my grace. You got to stay when you feel cut away. You have to stay in my love. You have to stay in my words. You have to stay in my commandments. You have to stay in that way of life that you think, wait, but I've been doing it this way and it hasn't worked. No, stay. You have to stay. Stay. And this is not God's rejection when you are pruned. It is the opposite. It is God protecting the potential that you cannot see. It is God's pleasure on you saying, oh, look at that. This one has fruit. Let me help her out and start to trim away because I know if there's that much fruit in there, I know there's more fruit and there's more fruit. And it is a sign of God's pleasure, not his rejection. It is his protection of your potential. And here's what happens. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into many trials, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her full work so that you might be complete and lacking nothing. Here's what happens. He comes to trim away and to cut away. And as he prepares to prune you, the enemy sees. He's looking in the garden because there's always a snake in the garden. And here he comes, the serpent slithering his way into the garden again. And he knows, he's seen this story enough times to know that when those shears come out, when those shears come out, if that branch stays, so much more fruit is coming off. And I can't stop the shears. That hand I can't touch. The only thing I can do is what I did from the very beginning. And he comes up and he slithers the serpent in the garden and he starts to tell you things like, what is, ooh, that looks like it hurts. What you're going through, is that, is that God doing that to you? Would, would God really take away that thing that you love? Would God really take away that comfort? Did God really say that you had to 
day when it hurts. Did God really say he was your friend? Because I ain't ever seen no friend come and cut people and then still be friends. Did God say that he loves you? Did he really say there was going to be fruit or is he just, is he just punishing you for what you've done and he does what he did in the first garden and he comes and he tries to lie to you and tell you that what's happening is not from God that's why Jesus says I'm telling you now ahead of time so that when it happens you will already know that the shears are in the hands of the father and the vine is me and I am your friend and oftentimes God comes to us and his motive is really to give. And for some reason or another, his method is to first take. And you go back to that first garden. He approached Adam. God went to Adam in the garden and said, Whew, I would love to give you something that would give you the ability to bear fruit. I want to give you a woman, a wombed man. And his, his method his motive when he walks into that garden is to give something. And he goes, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I know I just made you out of nothing, but I want to give you this something. And what I'm going to first do is I'm going to reach in and I'm going to cut away a rib. And I'm going to take this rib from you. But what I give you is going to enable you to bear so much fruit that you will never once in your life look at me and be like, He'll but what did that rib ever do to you? He never missed the rib. Because God gave him something and did something with that rib that he could never do himself. He gave him the ability to bear fruit. And Jesus is telling these people over and over, 11 times at least, to remain. You got to stay. You got to stay. You got to stay. And now, in the close of conversation, he knows Judas is coming. It's my time. My time is up. The alarm is going off. And this is the final huddle. He's like, I got to go, guys. I got to go. Listen, I can almost hear his footsteps. I got to go. So in these verses, what I've told you, and you're going to pass on for the disciples and the saints to come. So what I'm going to tell you, listen, listen, listen. I picked you. I chose you. I appointed you to go. Please go. Don't let this all be in vain. You have to go. You have to go, but you cannot go unless you stay. You got to go. And I'm telling you all of this about a vine and some branches. All of this I have told you so that my joy might be in you. And your joy might be complete. My joy. Have you ever thought about what is Jesus' joy? What is Jesus' joy? And tomorrow, he will live out Hebrews 12, 2. Consider Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He, he stayed on the cross. Do you know what endure means in the Greek? It, is a, it comes from a compound of two words. One of those words is meno, or remain, or to stay. The same word that he has said at least 11 times to them in the seconds prior to this. But when you add hupo to meno, hupo meno, hupo meno means to stay underneath a great weight. Mm. To endure is to stay. He had 
staying power. He had the power to stay. How? Because there was a joy that was set before him. And this allows me to understand that joy is not always something I feel, that sometimes joy is something I see before I can feel. It is something that is set before me that gives me the power to stay underneath the pressure and for a joy. This is his joy. He said, I've told you all this. You can have my joy, the kind of joy that keeps you hanging on a cross when you can call 10,000 angels and have them take you down. And when everyone else says, if you're God, come down for you but because I had hupomino I had endurance I had the power to stay because there was a joy set before me something I could see and I didn't need to feel it yet and when I felt the nails I saw the joy set before me and what was that joy it was us I I gotta go so even though I could come down I gotta stay because the gardener has planted me in the soil of this earth. And just like with you disciples, he stands over the soil with an expectation on my life. He says, son, I love you, but I didn't send you to this earth just to be a good teacher and make history. I didn't send you to this earth to live a moral life and to love people only. I sent you to this earth, and unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it dies alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. The gardener has planted me on the soil of this earth, and he expects me to go, and I've got to go, so I've got to stay. And tomorrow, they will connect the dots as God their friend lays down his life for his friends. And all the puzzle pieces come together now. Oh, God's the gardener. You're the vine. He planted you on this earth. You had to go, so you had to stay. There was a joy set before you, which was the fruit. But not just any kind of fruit. It had to be fruit that remains and so 11 times you told us your fruit remain 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 because the gardener has told me that I cannot give him just any fruit I have to offer him fruit that remains I have to offer him disciples that stay that stay that stay under the pressure that stay and that go so today I remind you You got to go. There's no coincidence that you have come to Embassy City Church. But can I ask you can I ask you lovingly, what's the point of all the coming if there's no going? Do you see the darkness around you? And do you really believe that either I am the light of the world or Jesus is a liar. And I don't get to choose between the two. Either he's a liar 
For I am the light of the world. Where have you been hiding light? What have you been hiding behind? Because I've just come here to tell you today that I'm tempted to dismiss you right now by literally just saying, you've got to go. Because I feel the urgency of heaven. And I want you to walk out of this place today knowing that every single day you are therefore Christ's ambassador as if God was declaring his message through you. You go, well, how, where? I don't know, but if I know this, if every day you remain and you find time to be one with God, to, to sit with him and remain and remain and remain, and then at the end of your prayer time, you go, I don't know how to pray all the right words. All I know is this, I'm reporting for duty. And as I walk out of this room or out of this house, Even if I'm just walking into another room with my children, I want to be so one with you that I hear you at the smallest little promptings when you say, go, that right there, buy his groceries, go. Say a kind word to this person, go, go. And it might be the simple things, but if you are one with me and you stop coming and doing your own thing and striving, if you actually just stay one with me, if you seek my face, if you stay in my words, in my words, not the doctrine of the words that you find on YouTube that are ones you want to hear for that day, but if you stay in my words, everything I've ever said, I said what I said. And if I didn't say it, I didn't mean to say it. I said what I said. And if you stay in what I said, and if you stay connected to me then you will have no choice but to go in Jesus name I leave you with this as as he comes you've got to go whatever you're waiting for you've got to go and now I've got to go but then you've got to go because he went But as you go, you've got to stay friends. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel, at youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Urban. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text Embassy City, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.